Uh, I'm, I'm really glad that you guys are here. It's, it's a joy to be together. What, we may do some bouncing back and forth between inside and outside over the next weeks. Uh, if it seems like it'd be a nice night, we may go back outside. So just be on the lookout. We'll try to communicate as best we can. But thanks for flexing uh, and being in here. I'm glad we have a warm space to be. And we're going to continue our series on community. And uh, I, I don't know about you, I find that as this semester goes along, you know, there's, there's some aspects of our life with God and our life in relationships that seems like it's growing stronger and stronger, right? And then there's these other aspects of our life with God or our experience of community relationships that seems like it's getting harder and harder, right? That the things uh, about our friends are starting to annoy us and our time feels like it's getting slimmer and our margins and our energy is getting lower. And so we continue to need to come back to what God says about who we are and what we are about as a people. And so what we're going to talk about tonight is that we are as a community of God, a community that speaks. We're a community that speaks. And we're looking in uh, the, the book of 1 Thessalonians, uh, which is maybe a book that you're not familiar with, that's kind of well into, well into the New Testament. This, is, uh, the, this city, Thessalonica, was a pretty big city. Um, and uh, in the time of the early church, like 100,000 people lived there. It was the capital city of, of Macedonia. And this is a Paul and, and his two friends were writing this letter of encouragement to the church in this, in this city. And this is, uh, this is one of the places that people look to for uh, teaching the Bible about the second coming of Christ, this belief that Jesus, who was born into the world and lived and died and rose again, is actually going to come back to bring the kingdom of heaven to its, to its fullness. It's mentioned in, in every chapter of First Thessalonians. We're going to be in chapter 2. Uh, the, the first chapter is pretty short if, you, if you're looking in your Bible or if you want to look at your Bible. It's what Paul often does in these sorts of letters where there's a, there's a little bit of an intro, here's who I am, and then there's I, I'm praying for you and I'm thankful for you. And then he kind of jumps right in in chapter 2. And what this is is sort of Paul explaining like what he's all about. He's explaining what he's all about. And so we're going to look at that to help us know what we should be all about as a community. And what we're going to see is that is that he's all about speaking, and we're about speaking as a community. So let's look from the Bible now, 1 Thessalonians 2, the first eight verses. It's printed on your handout, or you can look it up in your Bible or on your device. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ, but we were gentle among you. Like a nursing mother taking care of her own children, so being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. This is God's word. It's absolutely true. He gives it to us because he loves us. Let me pray and we'll jump in. Uh, Father in heaven, we're grateful for this time together, and we need you. Uh, this is the time that we have set aside as a community to gather, and so we long to be uh, connected to each other more, and Lord, we especially long to be connected with you. So please, Holy Spirit, be at work through your word right now in our hearts that we might know you and love you more and love one another. In Jesus' name, amen. 
some of the most iconic people and communities in the world are, are known because of the words that they speak. And I, and I was thinking about this this week. There's a lot of different ways you see this kind of thing. You think about someone like James Bond. There's a new James Bond movie out too right now. What does James Bond always say when he meets someone? The name's Bond. James Bond. No one talks like that, but we know who, they, who it is because he talks like that, right? I was thinking about things like um, some of the most uh, successful marketing slogans in the world. Like we all know that when, when you hear McDonald's, they're going to say, I'm loving it. And when we hear Subway, we're going to hear eat fresh, right? We, have these, we know these things. And then there's all kinds of examples of, of communities that are known by the words that they speak, right? So if you are an Auburn football fan, you say War Eagle. Nobody knows why. But if you're an Alabama fan, you say Roll Tide. Nobody knows why, right? We say Rocky Top where I'm from. Go Vols forever. I see you. Uh, the, the, these things, they, they kind of set us apart. If you're in a fraternity or a sorority, you probably have like little things that you say. And then if you're a part of that community, you like recognize it, right? It's super, super secret. No one's ever going to find out about these things. And it's really, really important. Okay. Um, I was, I was, uh, I'm really into the HBO miniseries, The Band of Brothers. Have you guys ever seen this? It sort of uh, traces the story of the, the 101st Airborne Division in, um, in World War II. And at the, in one of the, the early scenes when they're first invading Nazi-occupied France and they jump, they're jumping out of their airplanes and they're supposed to all kind of jump in the same area, but because their planes are getting hit by fire, they kind of end up jumping all over the countryside of Normandy in France. And so instead of being able, before they, have, before they can sort of accomplish their mission, they got to find each other. And so you've got these random individuals and groups of people who are walking through farms and through the woods and through villages trying to find each other. And, and uh, when they think they see someone who might be another American, one of them says, Flash. And the other person identifies himself by saying, Thunder. So, Flash, Thunder. Oh, we know we're a part of the same team, right? Communities are, are marked out by, they're known by the words that they speak. And the, the Christian community is no different. The Christian community is defined and marked by the words that it speaks. And the words that it speaks are described in the Bible in this one word, which is the gospel. And the gospel is a word that Christians talk about all the time. And we're always like we're gospel driven and we're gospel powered and we're gospel fueled. And if you put that in front of a, like a book title, you're going like to sell some books, right? And um, with th this word, the word gospel, it literally just means good news. So part of what it means to be a part of the community of God is that we are defined as, as people who speak good news to the world and to each other. And that's what I want to talk about tonight. And I actually really love this idea. I love this idea that one of the marks of what it means to be the, the, the people of God is that we speak good news. If you come to RUF a lot, you, you hear me sometimes uh, sort of summarizing the big picture story of the Bible. You hear me talking about how in the beginning there was just God and then out of the abundance of his of his love and of his life, he creates the world. Uh, he creates it by speaking, by the way, which I think is cool. Uh, you've heard me talk about how this world was good and beautiful and true, and uh, man and woman are a part of this, but then they, they commit the first sin. They betray God. They resist his ways and disobey him. And the consequences of that are things that we are feeling uh, now uh, as we continue that, that betrayal of God's good ways, and it leads us into all kinds of destruction. And you've heard me talk about how God's plan to repair this brokenness is to send his son Jesus into the world, to live and to die and to rise again, to redeem us from sin 
and death. And if you read through 1 Thessalonians, you hear about how the, the story's not done yet, that he's actually going to send his son Jesus um, back to redeem everything fully. But I want to give you a little like simpler version, okay? Do you see what I did there? I told you I'm not going to tell you the big story by telling you the big story. Do you see that? Uh, I, I want to give you a little bit of a simpler version of what that is. And, and here's my simple version of what this good news is, of what the gospel is. It's this, that God sent his son Jesus to die and to rise again to save us from sin and death. That's the good news. God sent his son Jesus to die and to rise again to save us from sin and death. If you're here and you're not a Christian, you're, you're probably like not sure what's so good about that kind of, a, of news. And if you, if you are a Christian, and maybe if you've been a Christian for a long time, it's, it's possible that you have forgotten or maybe lost some of the wonder of just how good that news is of the reality of our trajectory towards sin and death for eternity that God has redeemed us from, has rescued us, has pulled us out from because of the life and death and resurrection of his son Jesus. So I want you to try to take a second and remember as we start tonight how good the good news is, how desperately in need we are as weak and broken and sinful people of good news, of news about a God who loves us and saves us. And, and this good news is the thing that the people of God speak. We speak this good news. And so I want to look at three aspects of that from this passage tonight. First, uh, the community of God. As a community of God, we speak boldly. Secondly, we speak to please God. And third, we speak in love. We speak boldly. We speak to please God. And we speak in love. So first, as a community of God, we speak the good news boldly. Listen to what, listen to what we see in verse 2. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel, the good news of God, in the midst of much conflict. Right away, we get the, the sobering reminder, and we don't really need this because we feel it, right, of just how difficult it is to speak this good news. And of just how costly it is to speak this good news. Do, do you feel that? Do you feel how dangerous it is to talk about these things? In, in Philippi, where, where Paul and Sylvanus and Timothy, that's this little community he's a part of, they, they were just in Philippi before they go to Thessalonica. And um, they spoke this good news, and some people were uncomfortable when they spoke. And some people felt awkward when they spoke, and some people probably felt judged when they spoke. And some people didn't like them, and some people spoke badly about them. Some people accused them. Some people discounted them and never took them seriously. That's really scary. Is that scary to you? That's scary to me. I actually care if people take me seriously or not. I actually care what people say behind my back. I actually want people to just like me, to accept me, maybe to praise me, maybe to admire me, maybe to look up to me. I actually really want this. I actually care about this a whole lot. And I don't know if you've ever been treated like that. I don't know if you've ever been made fun of or mocked or ignored or had, had people who you thought were your people who abandoned you. It's a really, really horrible feeling. Uh, some, some of you have, have, are going through experiences like that with people th this semester. And it's a really horrible, horrible feeling. Boldness, to be bold is is really just to do what's right, even though you know it's going to cost you. 
That's what boldness is. Boldness doesn't mean you aren't afraid of what's going to happen. Doesn't mean you're not scared. It means you're going to keep speaking even though you know it might, it might cost you. And so I think the question this raises is, what is the thing that's going to fuel our boldness? What is going to empower us to speak this good news about God's love for us in Jesus that redeems us from sin and death when it's so scary and costly to do it? And, and so that's the, that's the second point. We speak to please, to please God. I'll read verses 3 and 4 again. You can look at your handout. For our appeal meaning the things we speak, it does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. He's saying we're trying to tell the truth. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. We speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. When I was in elementary school, um, my my dad usually would drop me off for school, and as I got out of the car, he would say, love you, Lewis," and I'd say, love you, Dad, and I'd run into school. No problem, right? Uh, and when I got to middle school, things changed. And, and for maybe to you as obvious reasons, I didn't want my dad to yell out to me, I love you, where all my friends could hear, and I didn't want them to hear me say it back, so I devised a genius plan where as we pulled in, before I opened the door, I would instigate and initiate the interaction and tell my dad I loved him. Then he would tell me, then I would open the door and leave. You guys know what I'm talking about? You ever had your mom yell, I love you? Sometimes it happens to this day. I'm, it's different now. I'm 36. This is hard for you still, right? What, what's going on there? I still loved my dad. Now, at that age, I was more annoyed with him than I had been when I was nine, probably. When I was 13, I was a little more annoyed with him, but, but I, I, I still loved him. But what had changed was that I also really loved, I also really valued, I also really cared what other people thought about me. So much so that in that moment, what other people thought outweighed me wanting to hear what my dad thought about me. And there's this battle that was happening in my, in my soul in that moment. I care about my dad, but I really care about what these other people think. That's kind of what it's like to be a Christian, Right? Uh, if, if you're not a Christian, I, I don't know what this sounds like, but we actually believe that, that Jesus loves us, that he cares about us, and we, we relish that. We delight in that. We give thanks for that, and we love him back because he's earned our love and his care for us and his death for us on the cross. So we do care about that, but there's this battle where we also really, really care what other people think. So much so that we don't really want them to hear us talking about how much we love God. We don't really want them to hear us because there's this, there's this battle waging within our souls. That what The Bible calls that, are, are we wanting to please man? Or are we wanting to please God? And so the question becomes, how do, we, how do we grow so that that battle is won in our relationship with our Heavenly Father instead of our relationship with other people? Like, how do we care more about what God says? How do we care about what we get to say to God than about what other people will say about us if they hear us being weird and gushy with our dad. And I think the answer is the, is the invitation to just fall more and more in love with God so that the power of his love starts to outweigh and beat out that desire that we have for other people to understand us and appreciate us and admire us and respect us and take us seriously and think we're cool. 
we actually have to grow uh, so much in our love for God that it overshadows these other, these other things. And that's what's going to make us bold. Okay, I'm going to come back to this at the end. We speak to please God. We have to be in love with God in order to be bold. And so one of the things that we need to do is not just learn how to say the right thing, but learn how to receive more and more the love of God for us in Christ Jesus. So that we might speak boldly about the good news that's for the good of the world. Okay? We speak boldly and we speak to, to please God. Lastly, we speak in, in love. The, the language in verses 7 and 8 is some of the, the most like gushy and emotional language that you'll find anywhere in the Bible. I, I, w- I want you to try to like let this language sit with you for a second, okay? This is verse 7. Uh, he's basically saying, like, as an apostle of, of Jesus, I have authority, and I could have made demands of you, but instead, verse 7, but we were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. Uh, I don't know what that sounds like to you, you guys are, are mostly 18 to 22-year-olds. You, you are probably not thinking about being nursing mothers. You're probably not around nursing mothers very much. It's something that was way in your past and maybe is way in your future. But I want you to try to, to picture a nursing mother for a second. I'm not trying to be weird here, but I actually, I'm going gonna, I'm to challenge you to consider this because that's what God's Word challenges you to consider. And I want you to consider the tenderness with which that mother holds that child. And I want you to consider the reality of the way that she gives her own life and nutrients and sustenance and energy away for the good and health of that child. And I want you to think about how many hours a day for a newborn, this is many hours a day. Every couple of hours, that mother is picking up that child and holding it close to her body to give it life. And I want you to think about the gentleness that she is using in her hands to caress that child. I want you to think about all the times that she's looking at it and smiling and kissing it in between those feedings. I want you to, I want you to try to picture the way a nursing, child, nursing mother thinks about their child. Paul's saying, that's the kind of love I have for you all. It's gentle. It's tender. It's intimate. It's adoring. It's delighting. He's talking about how he feels about a community of people. And then he says this, one of the best lines in the Bible. So being affectionately desirous of you. (laughs) Can you imagine being out on a first date and being like, I'm feeling really affectionately desirous of you tonight. Thank you for going out to dinner with me. What like, that's like, it belongs in a romantic poem, right? This is like a love letter. Being affectionately desirous, I am overcome with my love for you. And that's why I'm willing to speak to you about the good news that you need to hear to transform your life. We speak to people about this good news because we love them. And so if there are people that you adore, that you care about, that you long to be in relationship with, The question for you is, what is more loving, to speak good news to them or to withhold good news from them? If the good news is what we believe it is, if it is what can save them from sin and death because of the love of God in Christ Jesus, his death and resurrection, if that's really as good as we're saying it is, and we really love someone, how could we dare withhold that from them?
So that's what makes us bold. One is that we love God and we want to please him. And the second is that we love our friends. And we love the people in our lives. It's our love of God and it's our love of people. And this, of course, if you're familiar with the Bible, in Matthew 22, Jesus is asked, what's the greatest commandment? What's the most important thing in the whole world? And he says, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. He says, to love God and to love people. That's what it's all about. That's what we're all about. Loving God and loving people. And it leads us to this bold speaking of this good news that we have that can save them. As I, as I come to the, uh, the application this week, I, I, have a, I have a couple of questions for you. The, the first thing that I, that I want to call you to, and that I think this passage invites you to do, is to try to remember and wrap your mind around how good this news is that we have. And, and if you've gotten to a point in your walk with faith where you feel like, that's fine, I guess it's like the thing I believe, but it's not really doing anything for me, it's not really moving me, I want you to try to think through it. I want you to try to think through what is this gospel? What is this news and why do I need it? Okay. I want you to remember the way that God loves you. And the words of Jesus for you and for me, the words that he speaks to us, the good news that he loves us, that he's come for us, that he wants to be with us, it, it earns our love back. And I want you to consider that. And, and, and I, want you to, I want you to consider who it is that you love. Who, who are the people in your life? Who are the relationships, the people that you love the most who haven't heard this news? Or maybe haven't heard it fresh. Or maybe haven't heard it from someone that they really trust and understand. Maybe haven't heard it from someone who, who knows them and knows their story. And I want you to ask yourself, what is the most loving thing I can do to that person with this good news that I have? Now, this is going to uh, potentially cost you, right? Because when you speak about this good news, it makes people uncomfortable. Sometimes it makes people feel judged. Sometimes it makes them feel like you're accusing them of something. Sometimes they won't like it. Sometimes they'll talk weird about you. Sometimes they'll make up names for you. And so we have to ask ourselves, do we love them or do we not? And are we willing to endure those kinds of things for the sake of the sharing of this good news that we are marked by the speaking of? And of course, the reminder is to say that Jesus endured this in his love for us. That Jesus endured being misunderstood and mocked that Jesus endured being betrayed and abandoned, that Jesus endured suffering and torture and death so that this good news for you might exist. Uh, I, I want you to try to think for a second if you've ever had uh, seen something or done something that was so fun, that was so exciting, that was so grand and majestic that you just couldn't help but tell people about it. Uh, for some of you, this may be like your favorite concert that you ever went to. Or it might be the most beautiful sunset you ever saw in the Blue Ridge Parkway. Or, or it might be, uh, you know, an epic football game or, or sporting event of, of, of some kind. I, I, was thinking, uh, I was thinking of the movie Elf. And I got to be really careful here. Because there are some things that I, I think are, like I'm not willing to die over. 
And there's other things that I am willing to die over. And one of the things that I'm willing to die over is no Christmas music or movies until after Thanksgiving. Okay? So do not go watch this movie today. Wait a few more weeks, then go watch it. Okay, great movie, Elf. But uh, Buddy the Elf, he's a person, spoiler alert. Buddy the Elf uh, meets this girl, as one does. He becomes affectionately desirous of her. He falls in love with her, okay? And, and there's this scene where he's been out with her, and they've, like, done all this weird stuff, like to go get the best cup of coffee in the world, and they've gone ice skating, and they've had their first kiss, and he... And he comes home and he takes off his hat and he spins around. And he says, I'm in love, I'm in love, and I don't care who knows it. This is beautiful. It's a little cheesy moment. It's a beautiful moment. That's speaking. And so the invitation for you and for me is to experience this desirous affection that our God has for us. To experience what we have in Jesus, this relationship of intimacy and fulfillment and joy and redemption so much that we can say, I'm in love with God. I love him. He has saved me. I don't care who knows. I have got to share this with somebody. We have good news to share, and it's for the good of the world. So we have to speak about it. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, I am uh, I'm in awe of the ways that uh, you suffered in order that good news might be spoken over us. The good news of your love, the good news of our forgiveness, the good news of the eternal hope that we have of paradise and heaven forever because of you. I, I pray, Lord, that you would uh, help us to fall more in love with you, that you would become so lovely to us that we would not be able to help but share about it. And I pray that you would move us in love for our friends and our neighbors and our classmates and our teammates and our family members. That you would fill us with so much love for them that we can't hold back in telling them the best news that there is. That their sin and brokenness doesn't have to define them and their futures, but that redemption in Christ can define them. Uh, Jesus, we pray in your name. Amen.